right, we're going to play a little memory exercise for those of you who are here somewhat regularly. Does anyone remember this day? Why is this picture this way? What do we remember? Yes, Seth. Yes, this is the day that Rhode Island Monthly came and took some pictures for their magazine of our church. Was there anything else special about that day? Does anyone else remember anything about the day? That's right. It was the day after you guys got engaged. It it wasn't the first day you visited, right? No, but still, you ended up being front and center in this picture for the magazine, distributed to thousands of Rhode Islanders and Southeast New Englanders. So yeah, if you guys didn't know, there was this magazine article that Rhode Island Monthly did about our church, and they came and they did pictures. Uh, Seth invited his friends, and his friends got to experience paparazzi church, right? The guy was like, listen, I'm going to come, not going to be in your way, you're not going to notice I'm here, okay. Now, you can see from that angle of that picture, Jordan's offering communion right here, and the guy's like, right, like, that's not exactly can't notice you're here, right? Like, he was a little more invasive than we thought. Does anybody remember the sermon from that day? What? It was a good one. So what's really funny, oh, jeez, this is wonderful. Um, What was funny was we were going through the book of Revelation, and Seth was bringing his friends, and Seth texted me at like 4 o'clock on Friday, and he's like, hey, I've got like four or five friends that are going to come for the first time. And all week I've been working through the sermon, hating myself for picking a sermon series on Revelation to begin with, and I was like, I can't do this. And so I just scrapped it. And I wrote a sermon on Saturday, which is not what I usually do. And it was about the woman at the well. So this is my problem. We are going through the book of John, talking about one-on-one encounters with um, the people have with Jesus in the book of John. And you cannot reasonably go through that in a sermon series and not talk about the woman at the well. But I obviously talked about the woman at the well like six months ago, okay? I have... Never tried to re-preach a passage within six months or nine months of preaching it the first, excuse me, preaching it a previous time. And so the question I had today is like, what do I say? How do we go through this story, particularly because it's a story you've heard a billion times? How do we go through this in a way um, that is meaningful to you? Uh, Because this is kind of our theme. This idea is what does it look like to sit next to Jesus? And... um, The reality is this idea of looking at Jesus and looking in his eyes, so to speak, knowing what he's like as a person, that one-on-one experience that John gives us. The woman at the well gives us that story more so than almost any other story in John, right? It just encapsulates what it was like to sit down and talk with Jesus. So in approaching the sermon, my hope today is that we go through it again And I think I made many excellent points about it way back in the spring. But hopefully uh, you can go for the more that that sermon if you want to on iTunes or whatever. Um, My hope today is for us to maybe feel it emotionally. Um, That's going to be, I I don't know, I may fail on that completely. But my hope is that we can start to feel a bit of what this woman felt when she knew Jesus. Um, In order to do that, I have a video queued up. And... I really hate this, but I had some technology gremlin issues this morning. So what we're going to do is me and Preston are going to do a, actually I can do it with the, this clicker. 
I'm gonna do a one, two, three, and we will start the video from back that computer, and I will start the audio from this computer. If her voice is a little off, I'm sorry. But you have to have both the audio. I couldn't sacrifice one or the other. So we have this little video, and then we'll go from there. No, no, no. I'm a woman of no distinction, of little importance. I'm a woman of no reputation, save that which is bad. You whisper as I pass by and cast your judgmental glances, but you don't take the time to look at me or get to know me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And otherwise, what is the point of doing either one of them in the first place? I want to be known. I want someone to look me in my face and see more than just two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and two ears. But to see all of me and all that I could be, all of my hopes, loves, fears, but that's too much to hope for, to wish for, to pray for. So I don't, not anymore. Now I keep it to myself. And by that, I mean the pain. The pain that keeps me in my own private jail. The pain that has brought me here at midday to this well. To ask of a drink is no big deal. But to ask it of me, a woman unclean, ashamed, used and abused. Outcast of failure, a disappointment, a sinner. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning. And as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You are a man of no distinction, but of the utmost importance. A man of, of little reputation, at least so far. You whisper to me, and tell me to my face what all those glances have been about. You take the time to look at me, but you don't need to get to know me. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And you know me. You actually know me, all of me, everything about all me, every thought inside, every hair on the top of my head, Every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread, all of my past and future, you know all that I am and could be. You tell me everything, 
another would certainly breed hate and condemnation. Coming from you, it brings love, mercy, grace, hope, salvation. I have heard of one who was to come to save a wretch like me. And now here in my presence, you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And I just met you, but I love you. I don't know you, but I want to get to. This is, I must run back to town. This is way too much just for me. There are others, brothers, sisters, lovers, haters, the good and the bad, the sinners and the saints. All right, John chapter 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Go ahead, Preston. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Uh, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither at this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and has not yet uh, and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, will he, uh, he will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Uh, we talked a couple months ago when we did this about how hard it is for us to appreciate the difficulties and the layers between Jesus and this woman. Um, there are all sorts of issues uh, involved in this. There are uh, issues of place and of race, right? Samaritans, the text even tells us, Samaritans and Jews don't get along with one another. Uh, Samaritans are often seen by the Jewish people uh, as a sort of half-breed because they're kind of half Assyrian, half Jewish. Uh, they have sort of a weird scripture, so there's a, a religious disagreement between them. We see her bring that up herself. Uh, there's also the man-woman thing. We don't realize the levels of sort of separation of the sexes that sometimes existed in the ancient world. We've talked sometimes in here when we talk about uh, women proclaiming Jesus' resurrection, that women's uh, testimony wouldn't be counted in court in the ancient world because you can't trust a woman to say the, the truth, right? This is kind of the ancient view on these things. And so this woman is here, and Jesus should not speak to her. Like, speaking to her is culturally wrong in every way, shape, and form. At the very least, there's also, I think there's even a little, a little shade of impropriety about this. This lady has gone in the middle of the day so there's nobody else around. Nobody else is there. Uh, we still have conversations in our culture today, right, about... Uh, and there's been big debates recently about the appropriateness of men and women colleagues eating dinner together, right? And when they should do that and whether they should tell their spouse and all that kind of, and I don't want to get into all that, but if that still happens today, you can imagine the eyebrows raised when men and women who usually don't speak in public, there's two of them by themselves outside the towns just chatting. Uh, the Bible does tell us, it's, it's very cryptic. It says when the disciples get back, they're surprised that he's speaking to a woman, right? Well, what does that mean? There's something that got in their minds, like, this is weird. But Jesus talks to this woman. He was willing to have a conversation that he is culturally told is not the conversation that you have, right? We, um, New Englanders, I think, can appreciate this. We have mastered the head down, don't look at anybody, don't talk to anybody, you know, like I try when I walk the neighborhood, when I see someone to go, hey, how are you doing? And a lot of times I get looks like, what are you doing? You've invaded my world. This is not what people do. You're supposed to ignore me and walk past me like I don't exist, right? And that's what this woman wants is she wants to be ignored as if she doesn't exist. This is why you get water at this time of day. Um, this is something we can understand even without knowing the background culture. Uh, we all know that it gets hottest at the middle of the day, right? One or two o'clock in the afternoon is the worst time to do any manual labor. You probably at some point have either told your kids or had a parent or a grandparent or someone say, hey, we've got this job to do in the yard. Let's knock it out before noon, right? So it doesn't get too hot. This woman goes, you know, I'm going to wait till one to, jar, to drag a giant stone jar 
or clay jar out to the well and draw the water up, you know, dozens of feet and then pour it into my thing and carry heavy water back. And she does it because she doesn't want to be seen. Uh, As we've gone through this series, we have talked a lot about um, insecurities. We've talked a lot about our identities and our personalities and that Jesus has this ability to see us for who we are and to identify the things we're hiding, right? Whether it be our dreams or it be our faith or it be our hopes like Nathaniel, right? All of these ways that people are kind of hiding their true self from Jesus. And we cannot talk about the woman at at the well without talking about how we hide insecurities and we hide feelings of failure and we hide things that we just don't want to admit to other people, right? Um, This is largely what this woman seems to be dealing with. Either culturally she's been told she's unworthy or she's telling herself or both. And she has heard the script so many times that you are not worth the time of day that she has become to believe it. And she has developed this thing that if we're honest, some of us do from time to time, where she wants to avoid humanity because humanity makes her think about her insecurities and her hurt feelings and her sense of not mattering or not being valued. And so it's easier just to ignore other people than to hear one more time how she's not good enough. And that's a place that I think a lot of us, or at least some of us, have been from some point or the other. Just feelings of just, ugh. Right? We know this because, how, oh, this is an aside, but we know this because this is, this is Satan's job, right? What does the word Satan mean? Accuser. And we see with Job and elsewhere in scriptures that Satan's job is to go around and to tell people who are loved and made in the image of God that they're garbage. And that the more he can convince them that they are, the more that they act that way. And in the midst of that, Jesus comes in and he says, that's not you at all. I don't want you to shrivel up in the desert by yourself in the heat of the day. I want you to have water that never ends. I want you to live and be vibrant and have a future, right? There's something kind of amazing here about this woman and all of her difficulties. Uh, We talked about this last time. You know, we want to be careful sometimes. In our culture, we sort of have so um, stigmatized certain things that we don't want to be that way about people. And so, like, this woman and her divorces, our culture, we don't really want to pick on her. Uh, The flip side is, I think we would all agree, even people who have been divorced five times would agree, that's not the plan, right? (laughs) Nobody sets out and they're like, if everything goes right, I'll have six husbands before this is all said and done, right? Like, that is not what anybody wants, And so here is this woman who has these failures. And that's not to pick on her necessarily. It's just to say that undoubtedly this is not how life was working out. I said last time, and I I still think this is possible. You know, we always read Jesus saying, you had five husbands and now you're with a man who's not your husband. We kind of take it that she's living with a man. Um, There's also the possibility that the word you're there is what's really being referenced. You have had five husbands, and the man you're with right now isn't even your husband. 
He's somebody else's husband, right? It's a distinct possibility in the text. This woman is just destroying relationships all over the place. And we know that's true because she goes to the well by herself in the middle of the day, right? She doesn't want to have to deal with the other women who undoubtedly are hiding their husbands from her. I don't know how big this town is, but it's probably not big enough that you can go through six men and at least one of the ladies in town doesn't have a problem with you, right? There's all sorts of stuff going on here. And in the middle of that, Jesus says, I think you're worth a conversation. I think that you are important enough to hear from me, even though I am the Messiah, right? It's a, it's a fascinating um, dynamic. That's my image for the five husbands that I forgot was in my slides. Um, the reality of the issues that we deal with is that sometimes when we deal with hard problems, there are two things that are true. And these things are somewhat paradoxical, but they're both true. One, we are so embarrassed and are upset about what's going on in our life that we don't want to talk about it with anybody. And thing two is the only way we're going to heal and get past it is if we sit down and we talk to somebody about it, right? Isn't that the terrible like spot you get into where it's like, oh, I don't want to talk to anyone about this. And if I don't talk to anybody, I will die. And that's sort of the situation that this woman is stuck in. And that's why Jesus is so cool about loving her and respecting her and also challenging her, right? He speaks to her. She's worth his time. She's worth his conversation. But then when he gets a shot and she starts to go on his side, he goes, hey, go call your husband. This is meddling, okay? There is no other way to define this. Jesus is getting into her junk that she doesn't want to get into, right? And the reality is this is what some of us need, is we need a loving, respectful, accepting person to then meddle in our business. Because often you can't get rid of the tumor without cutting into the skin, right? Sometimes we need emotional surgery. We need to cut some stuff open and rip some stuff out and it's going to be nasty. And I mean, surgery is not something that's great for people, right? There are a lot of challenges in surgery. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Doctors don't say, well, let's just cut it out just, you know, for fun, right? This is something you only do if you have an extreme moment. But there are times when you need the surgery to get rid of the sickness. And Jesus is performing open heart surgery, so to speak, on this woman at the well. The thing that's eaten you alive is this relationships that you've had with these men. Let's talk about that because you're not going to get any better until we do. And the cool thing about Jesus is he can get away with it, right? Most of us are going to do one of two things. We're going to accept that they don't want to talk about it and go, okay, whatever, never mind, and walk away. Or we're going to be jerks and we're going to go, I don't care if you don't want to talk about it. You're going to talk about it. This is my tactic, by the way. Most of the time, whatever, deal with it. We've got to deal with it. Come on. And Jesus finds some way to say, I love you and I accept you, but we've got to deal with this thing inside you. And he's able to, to deal with that with her. Um, what Jesus offers this woman is living water. There are all sorts of metaphors in this passage, but one of them is just the idea of being parched, of just needing water. Have you ever been like really super thirsty, right? Like 
Have you ever had that thirst that's so bad that the first drink doesn't actually feel really good because like all the parts in the back of your throat are still like they, they need to be lubricated? Like that first drink is just to give your throat enough liquid to feel okay swallowing, right? That is where this woman is spiritually. She is so alone and she is so despondent. And Jesus says, I don't want you to be dry. I don't want you to be withering away. I want you to be alive. I want you to have what you need. If you come to me, I will give you living water. It's fascinating all the ways she tries to distract, right? She tries to mock Jesus. And Jesus is like, okay, whatever. You can make fun of me. That's fine. Uh, she tries to do religious controversy. There is something fascinating here about this religious conversation. She says, Jesus, we think that we worship here. You worship there. What do you think? And he goes, well, you're wrong and I'm right because I know what I'm talking about. But really, that doesn't matter. Okay, let's talk about how we can get along. That's a very fascinating technique to be like, I know I'm right, but that doesn't really matter. It's fascinating coming out of Jesus, right? He says, let's deal with the real issues. Um, some of us will do this. We will come to a moment where we need somebody to make us talk about the stuff that hurts us. And we will lash out at the people that do it. We will distract from the issue. We will immediately try to talk about politics, religion, history, whatever, right? Any other topic. Um, this is my suspicion with many people I talk to about Jesus. I'm like, what do you think about Jesus? And they're like, well, what about the Crusades? And I'm like, no, nah, okay. You don't want to talk about the Crusades. You don't want to talk about some other issue that's going on in your life that's way too personal for us to actually deal with, so you throw out crusade, right? Just a hint, if you see that, that's very common. Not to say those issues aren't important. We talk about those things. But a lot of times, people have stuff in us. We have stuff in us that we want to talk about anything else, and we want to distract because we feel just as alone and misused and unloved as the woman in the video. Uh, that phrase, to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. It's very beautiful. Um, it is very true with Judeo-Christian theology. Um, even the, right, the word for um, intercourse in the Bible, right, is to know, to be known. And this is something that's um, it's this idea of just being known really deeply and intimately. And so Jesus says, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. And I want to get through your stuff and we're going to deal with it. And it's not going to be fun, but it's also not going to hurt as bad as you think. Because I ultimately want you to be alive. And I want you to be thriving and not running out here sad and alone to the, to the well every day. All right. That is what I have. If I talk anymore, I will just repeat today and or six months ago. So um, not that I haven't already. <laughs> We have a Q&A at the end of all of our sermons. So um, do you guys have any questions, any things that you would like to ask about? Yeah, and that really, I, I, that plays in a bit to that paradoxical thing too, right? That really happens is where we say, I don't want to be around anybody because I just want to be loved. Well, wait a second, <laughs> you know, like how is, you know, I'm enough of a, intellectual guy that I'm like that doesn't work practically you know and I'm always told to shut up and I get slapped or something like that but you know like that's uh, something that we fight with right this these impulses any questions yes 
Yeah. Um, I think when it comes to a passage like this, one of the things that's helpful for us to understand, um, there may be a passage about this, or this may just be a theological thought. I can't remember a passage off my top of my head that says it, but I think it's true. Um, there is a sense using this water metaphor, right? That we bless people out of the overflow of what God has given us, right? The, the best way to put that would be, say, Genesis 12, where he says, uh, tells Abraham that he's going to bless Abraham so that Abraham will bless the nations, right? There's this idea that God pours into you and it overflows to other people. And so when it's working really well, we identify with Jesus in this passage because we're helping other people who are hurt. But we also identify with the woman at the well because we are being filled up like she, like she is being filled up, right? Um, and that when it works best, we're getting filled by God and that then overflows out of us to other people and there's kind of this domino effect, right? Um, and so... I guess what I would say is we have to just be honest. There are times that we're so dry that we don't have anything to help fix anything else, right? Like there are times where we are just so out that there's no chance of overflow because our own cup is dry. And I think it's smart to acknowledge those things and understand those things and have the discernment of when you need times of retreat and rest and silence and time with God, time to be filled back up so that it can overflow. Does that make sense? I'm just, I mean, I think it... It plays into those things. Some of us have been taught, though, by either parenting or church or something, that we are always okay. <laughs> no matter how unokay we are, we're always okay. And that's sometimes we need to be okay being the woman who needs help. Um, 